Now the main part of the meeting. Uh, Marie, would you like to introduce the Al-Anon speaker, please? Everybody again, my name's still Marie, and I'm still a grateful member of Balanon. And they didn't tell me I was going to have to do this. I was any prepared to bring the welcome, <laughs> you know. Um, but we do have a very good speaker tonight. At least I know I've heard Marie talk many, many times, and she certainly has helped me a lot and been a big influence on me. So I would, I know you're going to enjoy her as much as I have. Marie, her name's I think you ought to save your applause until after I finish. <laughs> um, Marie, are you sure they didn't mean you to get up here and speak? Um, my name is Marie, and I'm a grateful member of Al-Anon. And it is always a privilege to speak at um, an Al-Anon meeting or at an uh, AA meeting, and especially an anniversary, um, because 14 years ago, um, I went to my first uh, AA anniversary. And my husband, I guess, had been in, in the program for probably about five months. And I had been to maybe four or five AA meetings. And I sat around and I heard things that um, were going on. But I spent most of my time just, I think, with my mouth open, like, wow, you did that? Or I can't believe you did that. I mean, it just amazed me. Um, I, I just, I, I couldn't comprehend the lives people had led, even though I was in the middle of it. Um, so what happened at this anniversary, it was in Brooklyn, and we were in, my husband was in for about six months, and I went with him, and uh, Brenda and uh, Bill B. spoke, and I had never been to an anniversary. And I don't know what Bill said, sorry about that, Bill, but um, <laughs> when Brenda got up and it really, for the first time, I think I really realized that things could be different with me. Uh, my husband had really started to change his behavior, and his life had started to change being in AA during that time. But I was still um, living the life we had lived before. And Brenda talked about things like, you know, here's this woman up there who hadn't finished high school, and she was going for a GED, and... She was starting to drive again and that kind of thing. I don't know. It was just something that said to me, you know, your life can be different. You can, you can do things and be a different person than you are now. Um, I was really afraid when my husband got sober. I was so grateful, although I didn't know that word then. Uh, we had lived uh, a life with alcohol probably for about since we got married. My family never drank. I never knew anybody that drank. I never saw my mother or father drink. And I met this guy, and boy, we went into all these bars, and everybody knew him. And I thought, wow, he's so popular. Well, I didn't realize because he was always there. <laughs> but, um, you know, we, um, you know, we lived that life, and, and we, I got involved in drugs, and we lived a lot of fa I wasn't addicted or anything. I just did it to do it. Uh, um, and things went around and around, and he couldn't stop, and lost his job, and all those crazy things that happened. Hit a little girl, and and I, what happened? He, while he was doing all these things, I was doing all the things that people that uh, love alcoholics do. Uh, lie. Uh, the police came to the door, and where's your husband? And I said, well, he's sick. 
when really he was sick. But um, after he'd hit this little girl, I said, well, he's sick. He's, um, he hasn't been out all night. I don't know what happened, but it wasn't him. And, um, you know, he would be drunk, and I would pick him up and drag him back and clean up all his vomit and, you know, do all those things that um, made it really, really, really easy for him to continue to drink. Um, I, may, I enabled him to um, drink probably for longer than he did. We were on what we call an Al-Anon, the merry-go-round. Um, you know, I can remember uh, we did not go anywhere without alcohol, whether it be a wedding or a shower or a party. Every place we went, we had alcohol. And, um, you know, what was happening was it was getting old for me. Uh, people were, it was like people were past that stage, and they were maturing, having children, and we were kind of stuck there and things were not changing. And finally, I remember I had gone away for business and um, he had um, ended up in jail and had called his uncle who had been sober at that time probably for about 15 years. And he said, I'm going to try this AA thing. And, you know, I said by that time I had made my decision I was going to leave because I could not take any more... Um, of uh, up and down, what's going on, um, I can, you know, just things like, I'm going to stop drinking, I'm not going to drink anymore, and, um, you know, something would happen, and, oh, I'll just get, the football games, I'm just going to have a beer, just one beer, you know, and then, of course, I would buy into that, and, um, and then the whole cycle would start again, it would start again, you're on that merry-go-round, and it is definitely a family illness, we get sucked in, Alan and people that love alcoholics get sucked into that. Um, you know, uh, we continue to allow uh, the alcoholic to drink. So anyway, um, he got sober, and I knew that the program was working for him because he started cleaning up. Not only clean up his act, but cleaning up his body, which was something that he never did uh, before. And um, this was like, I knew there was something in this thing. And, uh, and then I thought, well, the reason he's doing all this, he's looking good, is because there's women there, and I'm going to go check it out. So um, that's why I went to my first Al-Anon meeting, uh, really with not the right motives, but I went to uh, the meeting, and I'll tell you, for me, it was maybe, you know, I heard other people, I heard people in AA talk, and they say that right away they knew that this is where they belonged, and I walked into Al-Anon and really realized that this was a place for me, because um, people there... Uh, told their story of how they, what they did and how they acted with the alcoholic. All the feelings, all the um, emotions that went along with uh, living with alcoholism. And um, I thought, this is, the, this is where I need to be. Um, I was, um, they say in Al-Anon that you, there's this three C's. You didn't, cure, you didn't cause the alcoholism, you can't cure it, and you can't control it. Well, I had a lot of problems with... Um, uh, causing it, uh, that wasn't too bad because I felt like, well, I really didn't cause it. I kind of knew I didn't cause it, although he would act and make me feel like I caused him to drink. Um, you know, it's because you don't look right, you're not cooking something right, you're not doing this right. But they teach us in Al-Anon that we don't cause it. The other thing is that uh, you can't cure it. And that was a tough one for me because um, I didn't drink and I had a really, really hard time thinking that this was a disease. 
And, you know, I thought, why can't you stop? You know, I have one drink. Um, it took me a long time and a lot of listening to people that are in the program that helped me understand the compulsion. Um, you know, I probably will never truly understand it because I don't have it. But I do understand that it, he cannot have a drink because all those behaviors start all over again. I think the thing that had, I had the most trouble with was controlling. I can't control him because I love to control. And I think um, people in Al-Anon love to control. Uh, we like to tell you what to do, how to do it, and when to do it because you couldn't take care of your life, so we're going to show you how to do it. And, um, you know, although we didn't do a very good job of it when you were out there drinking, and, um, you know, I came in and it was like I wanted to talk about the alcoholic. And, you know, they would say in meetings, uh, you know, here they would talk about a certain topic, and I was going to tell them about what he did. Every situation and everything he ever did to me was in lights on a marquee, and there was I, hands spread, legs out, you know, the martyr. And, um, um, you know, I really uh, felt like um, I deserved recognition and all this applause for living with this alcoholic. Well, one of the things that they told me was they don't want to hear about the alcoholic, which really surprised me because I thought, well, this is what we did in Al-Anon. You know, you talk about that person. But we don't. We don't, you know, don't give yourself credit if you think we talk about you because we don't. Um, you know, my husband would always say when I first started going, well, what would you talk about? Did you say, you know, I think he was scared to death. I said, we're not talking about you. That's, you're not that important. So... Um, but, but truly, we do talk about ourselves, and, and for me, it was how to change myself, um, things that I could do. I was a very controlling person, and I had got to the point where even common courtesies weren't in the house anymore. Uh, you know, you get to that point where you just start throwing daggers at each other, and your language, and your... And you're, you're just angry. You're so angry and resentful for everything that's going on. And then you have a person that's in the program, and they're trying to work it. And here you are, you know, just whatever they do, just slap them down. Um, I can remember my husband brought over um, his sponsor one time. And Bernie had, I guess, you know, had been in probably about 10 years. Well, Bernie's sitting there, and uh, I had never, I didn't know anybody in AA. And I lit up a joint and said, do you want some? And um, Bernie said to me about a couple months later, he said, you know, Marie, he said, I knew Mike was going to make it. He said, but I didn't know if he was going to make it with you. <laughs> and, um, and that was true. I mean, I was really, really angry about what had happened in my life and felt like um, um, I wanted him to pay the price. And they, they said to me that don't worry about what he's doing. Worry about yourself. And it's almost like a railroad track. And I always remember this. Um, it's like a railroad track. You work on yourself here. He'll work on himself. And maybe down the road, if you look farther down the road, they seem to come together. And that's true. Um, you know, as I've been around and in the program for a long time, uh, we've had a lot of, lot of changes in our life. Uh, we were, my husband was, let's see, we were in the program for about five years. And my grandmother came um, to spend the night, and she ended up staying five years. And, um, you know, these things happen in our life. You know, we have life situations. And I always thought sobriety was going to bring um, eternal happiness. I thought it was going to bring the guy in the smoking jacket leaning on the um, 
chimney, you know, reading classical books and let's discuss them, you know. But um, and, and I have a wonderful husband, but he's not. I know now, and I and I know that those expectations were unrealistic, and that's what you learn here too is that you can you have to change the way you look at life. You can't expect people to be what you have in your mind, your own vision. So, um, you know, and and then what happened, um, you know, my husband said, these last couple years have been really, really tough uh, for both of us. We've had a lot of personal crises and setbacks, and, um, and thank God for this program and the spiritual part of this program, because a lot of people in AA and Al-Anon, it comes so easy, and I admire that turning your will and your life over, you have to do it, but... My God, the God of my understanding, we almost have like a wrestling match. I say, come on, in the ring. He gets in the ring, he body slams me a couple times, you know, and I get up and then we shake hands and everything's okay. Um, you know, that's, that's what we do. Um, and I really admire uh, people that can have faith and it comes easy to them. It's always been tough. For me, but it also um, has been um, a strength for me these last few months uh, as we've been going through these personal things, and um, I would not have been able to make it through without the people in the program. So um, I promised Clem I was going to leave him plenty of time to talk here, um, and I, I appreciate you uh, letting me talk and sharing a little bit about Al-Anon. If anyone um, has a friend or family that's interested, please bring them to any meetings. We would be glad to talk to them and help them out. It's a place where uh, people can change uh, the way they look at life. And one of the other things is that um, I have to laugh sometimes because when, we, when I first came in, um, you know, drinking and drugging and um, I had hair down to here. My husband had hair down to here. We used to live on a commune, and, you know, we had, like, the hippie lifestyle. And um, it, it really, um, and not only physical stuff. You know, the physical things change over the years. But what's important is that, um, you know, I've changed inside and that I know now today that I can face anything that comes along. I may not like it. Life sucks sometimes, big time. And I don't like a lot of things that happen. But, um, you know, today I know that I can handle it with people in the program and also with the higher power and my friends. So, um, you know, that's the, that's the message that I would like for you to know about Al-Anon is that it does help you change the way you feel. And um, I would, I'm almost like, this is almost like television where you have to get up and have to say something, hi, Mom, or whatever. So I want to wish John a happy 50th birthday, too. <laughs> I know it's probably not approved conference or whatever, but I always have to get back at John. So uh, I'm going to turn it over to Clem, and thanks a lot. Open it. We all want to know. together now. One, two, three. Ah. Hey, I knew we could do that. <laughs> Thank you, Marie. Um, and now it's my, it's my privilege to introduce the, uh, the AA speaker tonight. And uh, you know, 
I, I can say a lot of things, but it's not my it's not my you know position here to talk. It's uh, it's Clem's. Clem. Hi everybody. My name is Clem, and I'm an alcoholic. I don't know why. I'm not that anonymous, but uh, I somehow just never gave my last name. Got in the habit of that, but my, but that's unimportant because the fact that I'm alcoholic is the important thing. I didn't. I like all the rest of you. I got here by guess how drinking too much, and uh, we just uh, don't start out to become an alcoholic. At least I didn't. And uh, I had an older brother that was. Uh, drunk, an alcoholic, or whatever. When I was a child, he was like maybe 15 years older than me, and he used to come by the house and he'd pester the hell out of my mother and all of that at nighttime. And I said, Mom, you never see me like that. And I just couldn't imagine anybody being so aggravating as he was when he was drunk. And uh, I turned out to be a drunk, although I didn't agitate my mother. I was. Um, well, I lived away from her, for one thing, and when I would go home, I was the only one in the family that knew how to control booze, as far as she was concerned. Uh, she allowed me to bring booze in the house and put it in the refrigerator, and none of the rest of the boys could do that. But uh, in general, I was not a, uh, I was a maintenance drinker. I drank every day, and I uh, never did get in a whole lot of trouble. I Almost died several times. I wound up going to Spring Grove two or three times, and uh, well, twice, really. And uh, just uh, physically and mentally is really what it did to me so much. I uh, I grew up in the hills of West Virginia, and there they expected people to drink. You uh, was expected to drink like a man, handle your booze. I uh, got drunk when I was a sophomore in high school, missed the Halloween party that their class was sponsoring, and uh, I uh, just last, well, about two weeks ago, had the privilege of uh, sharing a couple days with the guy I got drunk with. I had not seen him for 54 years, and he doesn't drink today either. He hasn't drank now in several years, although he doesn't go to AA. He said that he did a lot of praying about it and just hasn't drank anymore. So we all go down the same road in one way or another, I think. But after this Halloween party, I just uh, was so sick physically that uh, if somebody mentioned the fact, let's have a, have a beer or something, this terrible taste of Wiedemann's blackberry wine would come back to me because we drank beer some whiskey, and wound up with a bottle of wine. And I didn't drink anything until I was 20 years old. And I went to work for a distillery in the neighborhood. And uh, after I started working there, I started nipping a little bit, and then I went into service, and there I really learned to drink. And it was there I got introduced to the morning drink, which was really my undoing, I guess. I would get up with a hangover and this fellow by the name of Tom Mole from Canton, Ohio, he would drink with me the night before, but we'd be in the shower the next morning or something, and he's in there singing and happy, and I'm sick as a dog. And I said, what in the world do you do that you're not sick, you know, from drinking? And he said, I bring a beer home with me at night, open it and set it under the bunk, and as soon as my feet hit the floor, I drink it, and I'm ready to go. So I tried that, and it worked. 
and I I continued to try that for about 28 years, and uh, I don't know. It's just uh, I I never had a problem of not having a supply of booze because, like I said, I worked in a distillery, and a lot of times I went to work to get a drink, and uh, they frowned on you drinking there, but. I, I suppose that one of the reasons I tried to control my drinking so much was the fact that, you know, they didn't allow you to drink there and you tried to appear sober most of the time. So I just wanted to hold that even keel and keep going. My uh, sister-in-law used to tell me that uh, she could tell when I was really getting drunk because I got more courteous when I was drunk than I was when I was halfway sober, that I would guess I was just trying to conceal or to... Uh, the fact that I was drunk. I was thinking about the word acceptance today, and I looked in a uh, thesaurus for the word accept, and it says to give approval, uh, to, to endure without protest, to regard as proper or normal, to take for granted, to accept as gospel, or inevitable. Well, to accept, I, I had to accept this program by desperation. I had come to a point where I could not quit drinking, and I could not drink. I, I knew it was going to kill me, I knew it was killing me, and I figured that I would die if I if I didn't drink. So I didn't know what to do. I had uh, gone to the Beltway Motel on Washington Boulevard at one time and rented a room and took a gun with me and was going to commit suicide. And I took also a fifth of booze and I drank that and somehow I, I was not one that passed out a lot. I would throw up a lot and continue to keep going, but I didn't pass out much. But this time I evidently passed out. And when I woke up, the bottle was empty and the gun was still there and still loaded and I didn't have nerve enough to shoot myself. So I started looking for a drink. I had gone in there on a Saturday morning and it was kind of rainy when I went in there. And I would parked the car in front of the door. I woke up, it was 2 o'clock and I thought it was 2 in the afternoon. And then I realized it was 2 o'clock the next morning. And uh, I needed a drink and the places were closed. So I called my favorite tavern, and they were just closing up, and a couple of my friends had just left. I asked the bartender if he would give them a bottle of booze if they came back there, and he said yes. So I called them at home. They had just gotten home, and they picked up a bottle of booze and come out and got me out of there. I couldn't go anywhere because I had left the headlights on that morning when I went in there raining, and my car wouldn't start. The battery was dead. That's why I needed to get help. But... Uh, that's some of the desperate positions that booze put me in. I uh, lost 13 days of my life completely that I don't know that I existed. That I was in a hospital part of a Spring Grove hospital, and they uh, injected, uh, oh, what was the good stuff they gave? Peraldehyde. They gave me that by IV for a couple days to keep me alive. And when I came to... I was like right up by a window where the nurse sat, 
and having been in that same place before, I knew that uh, you was pretty sick if you were up there, and I was like in a second bed. And uh, I said to my wife, I must have been pretty sick. I'm right up here by the window. She said you were in that other bed for more than a week. And uh, so it's only by the grace of God that I am here. It's uh, uh, no other way that I can see it at all. We uh, go through a lot of turmoil in getting here. I had uh, had heard of Alcoholics Anonymous many years ago. When I was working shift work, and on, especially on a Sunday night, I'd be in bed half drunk and have to go to work, maybe it'd be 8 or 9 o'clock in the evening. And, <coughs> excuse me. And I'd lay there and listen to the radio and try to go to sleep, and there was a program of AA on the radio, and these guys would tell their story and how they hadn't drank for a couple years or five years or something like that. And I thought, man, that's terrific. I don't know how in the world they do that. But then I never did pursue it any, and... Uh, didn't get anywhere with it. And that's the only thing I knew about Alcoholics Anonymous, but I uh, I did call uh, AA at this time. I was at a point where I couldn't go to work again. I was laying in bed, and every two hours I would wake up just automatically and have a drink of booze. And then I would uh, go back to sleep and sleep about two hours. Wake up and have to have another drink. And uh, so I called Alcoholics Anonymous, and two gentlemen who are both deceased now, both died sober, a Mr. Bob Jemison and a Mr. Frank Neiman. Now, you probably all know Frank well. They were my sponsors for uh, as long as they lived. They came and got me and took me to AA, took me to the Catonsville Step Group, and uh, I, Bob had been picking me up for about a week, and he said, well, you're looking a little better. How do you feel? And I said, pretty good. By the end of the week, I think I'll be able to drink. And uh, he said, well, said, well, the object is to quit. I said, what? The object to quit? I heard you people say, you know, we don't quit. We just postpone it a day at a time. He said, well, postpone it a few more days. I said, okay. So went along pretty good, and... Uh, and he said, well, you can get a home group. We suggest that you do. You can join any kind of group anywhere you want. But uh, if you want, you're welcome to join ours. And I said, well, it's working for you. I guess I'll try that. So they introduced me to the 12 steps there, and I, I got a pretty good understanding of that. I think I was very fortunate to belong to that step group because... There was a group of people there. There was a lot of professional people there, not that I'm taking inventory of anybody at all, but they were intelligent uh, professional people. There was doctors and a druggist and, a, uh, I don't know, a physical therapist, and I don't know what all was in there. And uh, there had been a, a man in the program that uh, belonged to that group that had kind of dropped off, and they had originally came out of a a home group and uh, so they started up another little home group with in-depth study of the steps and all to try to get this fellow back again <clears throat> excuse me and I was fortunate enough that I got invited to that home group and every Sunday night we went there and sometimes those meetings would last like two hours and really get into the steps and I, I learned a good bit there I uh 
told Maurice he didn't need to save me any time. When Bud asked me to speak, I said, well, I'm not a speaker. I'm a talker, and I can talk a little while, but I don't go on for any long length of time. I run out of something to say. And Marie said she'd save me plenty of time, which I uh, appreciate her generosity, but I didn't really need it. But with the Kingsville Step Group there, I made a couple notes. My memory's so bad. I, I ran into a, an amnesia problem a few years ago. I'll tell you about that. Um, that uh, my wife and I was going up to Western Pennsylvania, and this was since I've been in the program and since I was uh, reasonably sober. And uh, we were going up to Western Pennsylvania, and we got up that morning and. I said, well, you want to go to breakfast? And she said, no. I said, well, I'm going out and get something to eat. So I went up to Bob's Big Boys and ate that smorgasbord breakfast that they have up there. And I went back home, and I wasn't feeling that well. I said, I'll lay down for a little while. And I did that. And she said, well, I'll put the suitcases in the car, and then we'll go. So I laid down about a half an hour. And when I woke up, or got up, we proceeded to go. And... uh, I drove, and we went to uh, Cumberland, stopped at Cumberland, got gas, went on to Morgantown, West Virginia, stopped there and ate, and went on over in western Pennsylvania. And after I got there at my niece's house, I was asking her daughter repetitively a question. You know, I said, well, Kimberly, how have you been? And she said, okay. And I said, how do you like your new job? I hadn't seen her for a good while, and she'd got this new job. But I didn't remember driving up there. I knew I stopped in Cumberland, but I couldn't tell you where I got gas or anything like that. So my memory was just gone for that period of time. And then when I got checking it out, this was on a Wednesday, I didn't remember Tuesday, or I didn't remember Monday. Uh, Bud and Ruth had gone to dinner. We had visited a funeral home on a Monday, and I don't know what on, I didn't remember any of that. So uh, it's possible to function in a blackout and not be alcoholically associated. I uh, asked the doctor if, uh, I told him, you know, I had blackouts and I had 13-day lapse of memory from withdrawal of alcohol and all that. He said he couldn't find any connection with that. That was his 23rd case, I believe. It was transit global amnesia. The fact that it comes and goes was transit. The fact that it was global, it was the long memory and short memory bank both gone, and of course amnesia. But it did come back the next day, and that's been, I don't guess, maybe eight years ago, I don't know. And I, uh, I still have a bad memory, but I haven't lost any periods of time like that. But that's off the course of Alcoholics Anonymous a little bit, but that's some of the things that we can go through and still stay sober. And uh, getting back to the steps, kind of the uh, way I look at the steps is the first step that I'm powerless, if I don't admit that I'm powerless and go through some of this acceptance that I just mentioned to you there, uh, well, then I, it's no way that, uh, that I can get rid of my obsession to drink. It just uh, stays with me. And uh, the second one, that God could restore us to sanity. 
Well, I, uh, I fully believe that, and I fully believe that I needed help because I couldn't do it myself. And the third step where we turn our life and our will over to the care of God is we understand Him. But first I had to use the group as a higher power. I had, uh, in a sense, taken all three steps of the first three when I got here because I knew I was, I just couldn't drink anymore. I was powerless over alcohol, not necessarily in those words, but I knew I was nuts having been in Spring Grove a couple times, and I, uh, I thought maybe God could help me. I had petitioned God for so many things when I was drunk. If you will do this, I'll do that. And uh, it worked out that in some cases he didn't do this, so I didn't do that. In most cases, I didn't do what I was supposed to do anyway. But I thought if I could turn my will over to a higher power and had a little trouble with God, I used the group as a while, and but I continued to pray, and I only wanted to drink maybe for about three months after I came into program, and I asked God to remove this obsession to drink, and I really believe that he did, because one day I just realized I didn't want to drink anymore, and I haven't really wanted to drink since that. I've now been sober 11 months, 20 days, and 25 years. And uh, another 20 days, I'll have 26 years. So that's uh, what the program can do for you. Uh, we begin to search uh, out the things that uh, disturb us physically and mentally and morally and all of those things. and. Uh, in the fourth step, and we find just how bankrupt we are. And then in the fifth step, uh, the inventory is not enough, just getting all these things together, but we have to share them with other people. And uh, my friend Bob Jemison and I, we spent a lot of hours together talking about many of the things that happened to me and going over my fifth step inventory. And uh, Many of us balked for a long time, or at least I did, in that sixth step of having God remove all the defects of character. And maybe some of them yet today I balk a little bit. Some defects that I kind of like, you know, and I kind of hang on to them. And uh, I think, you know, that might be beneficial to me. A little tough to give it all up sometimes. But Oh, we must humbly ask God to remove all these defects of character if it's, uh, you know, if we're going to continue to clean house and, and get our program to work for us. Then in the eighth, uh, we list all the people that we have harmed and uh, try to make amends to them all. And uh, must be willing to really set things right with the people, not just... Uh, haphazardly do it and make direct amends to those people in the ninth step and then uh, in the tenth um, we've, been, we've begun to get a basis of uh, daily living together and realize that the daily inventory is necessary so we go over not all the things that we did in the fifth, fourth and fifth step but the things that I fell short on today or yesterday and uh, get them all together 
and try to ask God to get rid of them for us. And this has worked pretty well for me. And uh, um, God has um, maybe restored me to some semblance of sanity, you know, but uh, through this, I've gotten a certain amount of serenity and a peace of mind that I, I never, <coughs> excuse me, never knew was possible uh, before. When I was drinking, uh, everything was put off for the next day. Big plans was made for later. Nothing ever materialized. Lived in the future all the time and just uh, somehow didn't... Uh, Ever, I had a lot of good days drinking, I guess, good times, but in general, life was just screwed up in general. It, uh, but if we do all these things, and we need then to get after the tenth step to uh, get closer to the God of our understanding, and we can do this by uh, meditation and prayer, is the way I do it, and uh, this. I think in time gave me a spiritual awakening, which has somehow allowed me to uh, get into the 12th step and why I'm standing here, how successful or not, attempting to carry the message to the other alcoholics who still suffer. And that's uh, allows us to uh, live and let live. You know, the old saying, they said, uh, live it up, but don't live it up so high you can't live it down. And uh, so that uh, puts a little balance in our life. And we can remember the past, but not dwell on it, and uh, share the present and hope for the future. And with that is about all I have to say, uh, saying that I heard around AA that uh, I like very much is the doors of AA are always open. Those who enter are free to leave. Those who leave are free to return. And those who stay, stay sober. Thank you all for staying, and thank you for listening to me. Thank you.